Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What the truck! You are listening to What the Truck! Are you ready to truck? It's time for your Nooner with Dooner. Welcome to Wednesday, everybody. Going on in the wild freight world seems a little calmer. It's a little calmer in a post yellow world with all that news, but we do have more to come at you today. We're going to start off though with some leading indicators. Freightways Craig Fuller he put this tweet out here, and I'm sorry, I got to start with the bad news. I know it's always that way. I'm trying to change it. Maybe by the end of this, you'll feel a little better, but you're not going to at the start. He tweets, freight volumes are doing better than typical seasonal trends, but the trucking market still has way too much capacity. In the past month, trucking spot rates have dropped by 7.6%, while diesel fuel has increased by 8.4%. Small leverage operators cannot survive this long. Yellow is the biggest victim of the Great Purge, but won't be the last. Check out that chart right there. You can see what he's talking about. But here's another interesting one that he put out shortly after that one. Take a look here. He says, Freightwaves tracks trucks visits at major U.S. retailers, manufacturers, and wholesalers. Truck visit activity at Amazon locations is at a three-year low. Christmas 2022 was lower than all of 2020 and 2021, and we've only drifted lower since. Note, this is an upstream indicator. Retail sales can be robust, but truck visits slow due to X Excess inventories. This type of data tells us how retailers are managing their supply chains in this environment. But a little bit of good news, too. For example, Luke Falaska, he reports U.S. Ocean import bookings are up 37% from their May lows of this year. So we got that. And Kyle Taylor reports Freightways National Truckload Index Forecast 28-Day Outlook is forecasting spot rates to raise 5.38% or 12 cents per mile from the current NTI rate of 223 per mile all in to 235 by September 5th. So hang in there. Tough news, but hang in there. On today's show, we got a lot of stuff. Uh, what are we going to do? Let's get into it. Rachel Premack and her Rachel Premack, she's back from her ride along to the northernmost truck stop in the world. She went all the way up to Alaska. She was in a truck. She found out what life was like in the great frontier. We'll find out about that. Plus, we'll learn what's on her news desk, what's developing with yellow. And what else is going on in the freight world? We got TSA, man. They're coming on. The security exemption for unwieldy air cargo at sunsets on October 31st. So we've got John Becky is here to tell us all about what that means for you shippers. Plus, he'll tell us everything you need to know about how air cargo security works in 2023. And then Justin Martin will be by. He's going to be talking about the rate sting that owner-operators are facing working at Bucky's versus UPS. You've seen these big numbers they've been throwing out to attract talent. We'll look at uh, what's behind the numbers. Why you should get a job in AA&E, delivery robots. We've got a cruise versus semi-truck. And the toddler size rig, you've got to get your kids for Christmas. So let's tip the band and we'll get all into it. 
You may think of AIT Worldwide Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in the past decade, they've evolved to become a global logistics powerhouse. Today, AIT is customizing supply chain solutions for multinational Fortune 500 companies, shipping between Asia, Europe, the Middle East, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating tailored plans that fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from logistics pros at AITWorldwide.com. But now... Let's talk to Rachel Premack, Editorial Director at Freightways. We didn't catch her last week, but you sent that great video, Rachel. You were over there with the, uh, I think it was like a bread company or something, right? So they're called Sourdough Express. They ship, I mean, they probably do ship bread, but they ship basically (laughs) everything, including bread, I'm sure. But it's called Sourdough because that's sort of like an Alaskan, a a little little inside joke among the Alaskans. It was something that, uh, you know, while they were on the frontier, you know, getting out there in Alaska, they made a lot of sourdough bread because that was the thing that uh, was most easy to transport and grow while you were, you know, away from grocery stores and on the frontier. Well, I love sourdough. I'm not a fan of rye, but I love I love a good sourdough. A lot of people have been curious. First, let's start there. How did this all come together? How did it come out that you were doing a ride along in Alaska, of all things? So um, back in May, uh, J.P. Hampstead and I actually wrote an article about what's going on with Alaska and it's and it looking to hire more truck drivers with the you know, the approval of the Willow drilling project uh, by President Biden earlier this year, a lot of these trucking companies in Alaska started to estimate that they would need to hire a lot more truck drivers to service the northern parts of the country, especially of the country, of the state, especially on those ice roads. Um, and they're they're thinking about not just hiring more people within Alaska, but also hiring folks outside of Alaska to start to train them up to be able to tackle the Dalton Highway, which is what connects Fairbanks to Prudhoe Bay in the north, and to tackle those ice roads when they're formed in the winter, um, so or in the fall rather to be available during the winter. Um, so yeah, the story came about through that. There is one company, Sourdough Express, that I connected with through that piece. Um, and it was actually during the uh, most recent FreightWaves conference, the Future of Supply Chain conference back in May, um, or June rather, I reached out and I said, hey, could I do a ride along with you guys? And they said, sure, why not? Which I was kind of you know pleasantly surprised by. I thought it might have been It'd be like more hurdles or hoops or whatever to to jump around, but they they were pretty open to it, and yeah, I had a good time. It was well organized, and it went pretty well. How long does it take to get to Alaska from New York? What is the, what's the routing? I'm curious. So it's I would say it's a total of twelve hours. It's six hours, five or six hours to Seattle. And then from Seattle to Anchorage, that's another three hours. And of course, you've got layovers and you know whatnot between those two things. And also, the time difference between the Eastern Time Zone and Alaska time is four hours. So it's a bit of a jump. It's not so much of a jump that anyone's going to feel bad for you and say like, "Oh no, you're jet lagged." Like, you know, take a week off. <laughs> Does it get dark? What, what is like? like what's the um, sun cycle there? Is it like dark most of the day or light most of the day? I did not see a dark sky for the whole week I was there. And that was partially because I was going to bed pretty early due to the aforementioned jet lag. Um, But 
I literally did not see a dark sky the entire week I was there. The one thing, it is pretty, like, foggy and cloudy there, so, especially in the morning, so it wasn't, like, bright sun 24-7, but it was, it was sunny most of the time. Interesting. Let's look, or let's there look, was sun. Let's look at some of your pictures, and we'll tell this story through photos. First of all, is this the truck you were in? Yes, that is the truck um, I took from anchorage to or sorry from fairbanks um all the way to prudhoe bay that is that is the one um yeah we were hauling pipes from fairbanks to probably to be to replace uh or to to build out new pipelines um what's this uh that services the 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 main Alaskan pipeline. That is the luxurious hotel I stayed in in Prudhoe Bay in um, Dead Horse, as the town there is called. You can see the frosted flakes at the bottom. A fun little perk about this this hotel, if you could call it that. Um, they have twenty four seven free food because you never know. Basically, everyone who's staying there like works at the oil rig, so. Um, so you never know when you're not working that is richard uh call sign mustang he is the one who i drove with from fairbanks to prudhoe bay and we also had um there's another sourdough driver behind us who was doing this drive for the first time named mike who we were i mean i wasn't doing anything but that richard was was kind of chatting with over the cb radio that is uh seen off the dalton highway um at a certain point there are no trees which is crazy they're just no more trees too cold um that is securing the load did you get to rate the strap work did you get to rate the strap work in person in alaska are you our northernmost strap work rater i think so yeah it was good 10 out of 10 i mean it didn't like crash through the 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 tractor and kill us so 10 out of 10 (laughs) that's always good i like that did you like the rig did you have a good ride you've been in a few rigs now is that better than gourds um, so the problem was similar to Gord's, there was no passenger air ride. Ooh. Um, so yeah, my, like, it was so weird because you're, you're sitting the whole day. So you wouldn't think you'd be in like sore after, but my like left knee weirdly really hurt after the whole day, which is incredibly random. Why my left knee? I don't know, but yeah, that's me and the, and the rig, the views were amazing. I mean, 14 hours, a 14 hour workday does not exactly fly by, but the views and, you know, the everything was just helped it a lot. Um, Richard, who I drove with, that's not Richard, um, but Richard, who I drove, drove with, knew a lot about the various like plants and fauna and animals of the road. Um, that is the driver I was with from Anchorage to Fairbanks. Um, we had a good time. His name is Kyle. Um, that is me standing next to the Dalton Highway sign. Uh, Richard was very kind to pull over whenever there was about to be a sign to take a picture next to it. <laughs> very tourist which friendly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have been like bold enough to be like, let's interrupt your work day and take sign, take pictures next to the sign. But hey, he was, he was happy to do it. What, what was, yeah. what was your work day, Rachel? Like you said 14 hours. So what does that, what does an Alaskan driver pulling pipes do? So something interesting I learned, which I'll delve more into the article when I write it probably next week, uh, once I finish up some more yellow coverage. Um, I mean, it's funny because their ELDs are different from what they are in the lower 48. They have 
they have like a 20 hour drive time instead of, or a 20 hour window instead of that 14 hour window. Um, I, I'm forgetting the exact details now of the hours, but they just have really long hours of service essentially. Um, which, which makes sense because you are, you know, you're, you're going over long stretches of highway there, there's always some risk of like a very weird sort of interruption to your service because the roads there are not like paved six lane highways. They're dirt roads. You could, there's always a risk of like a reindeer popping up and like puncturing one of your fuel, fuel, fuel sages. I don't know the correct terminology, but like there's always a risk of like some weird thing that probably wouldn't happen in the lower 48 as it's called. Um, happen to you up in Alaska because it's just a whole different, whole different type of territory for sure. How would you rate the northernmost truck stop in the world for those of us who haven't been there? What was good there? <laughs> it was good. It was the food was good. It was very like trucker friendly. Like they had a whole area, a whole like table that was just for truckers, um, where people could sit down and chat. It was very communal. I would say the food was really good. They had a gift shop where I was able to buy, you know, some things for those for my friends back home who want to brag about being associated with the world's most northern truck stop. Um, I would give it I would give it a nine out of ten. Oh, wow. Solid. What's the deduction for? What did you take a point away for? Um, there was, I need, I needed like slightly more hours because I need to charge my phone because I was on my phone for like the whole day, uh, taking notes and taking pictures. It was too bumpy for me to like write in my notebook. So I had to take notes on my phone. Um, I also would have appreciated Wi-Fi, which I know is like an annoying thing to say, but yeah, there is no service as you could imagine the whole that whole stretch of highway. You said that you were considering moving to Alaska. What about it captured your heart? It was, well, the people there were really interesting. They were very open and willing to talk about and answer questions, talk about, you know, how they got there, how their families got there. Um, The terrain is really beautiful. I really like hiking. So it was great for that. It was definitely a lot less crowded than obviously New York City, but also just any kind of city I've been in the in the lower 48. Um, and what else? I mean, I've only been there in the summer when it's great and it's sunny for yeah. a whole week. So maybe my opinion would change if I didn't see the sun for a whole week instead. Yeah, most most I know about Alaska is from like that vampire movie, like where the sun never comes up because it's in the middle mm. of winter, and so like vampires can yeah. just like live on on the streets. It looks so cool. I would love to get up there. I'm I'm so uh, I'm happy for you, but a little bit jealous as well. But thank you for for going up there and bringing us your story back. Now you're out there. You're also yeah. covering the news desk on what's been happening with Yellow. Uh, any new news over there? What what should people know? Well, as I'm sure everyone watching and listening knows, they officially filed for bankruptcy on just after midnight on Monday. So it's a, you know, lots of filing associated with that. We're we're kind of going through that. One interesting thing that jumped out at me is that um, Yellow actually, or rather the U.S. Treasury, from my understanding, is third in line as a, uh, as a creditor to, to Yellow. So the first the first in line is, you know, several banks that lent to to Yellow. Second in line is Apollo, the hedge fund that backed Yellow 
all the way back in 2019. And then you have the U.S. Treasury. So, um, yeah, the most powerful government in the world doesn't measure up to uh, these banks or this hedge fund. But um, so it, it will be interesting to see how this all plays out in the coming weeks and months and whether the U.S. taxpayers are going to get their money back. I'm here. We're definitely seeing uh, activity in rates, too. A lot of LTL shippers have been struggling this week. And I'm not talking about the ones who just didn't have the foresight to remove their freight from yellow. They're finding that when they're talking to their new carriers, they're adding new premiums on and capacity has not mm-hmm. been able to cover. So for those of you struggling out there, uh, we feel for you. It's it's not an easy time. It's going to take a couple of weeks for everyone to get this, this sorted out. Rachel, uh, what's coming up on the next modes? So um, I'm looking into right now, again, looking into that bankruptcy filing. Uh, one thing that I've heard from now Axe Yellow employees is that they have been waiting on receiving their pay time off. They were told, you know, you'll get your pay time off, full payout. Their last paycheck didn't have that. I mean, I'm sure not that many were altogether shocked, but it is certainly something that when you have accrued, you know, hundreds, you know, dozens or more than a hundred hours of pay time off, kind of hope to get paid from that if you if you don't actually get to take the vacation time. So that's what I'm looking into into um, today, actually. <laughs> yeah, I hope that the employees are first in line before all of these creditors and they are made whole again and paid what they're deserved. Uh, they're nothing worse than not getting paid. And then as an employee, having to figure out some litigious strategy to get, you know, thousand yeah. dollars back, which you can just get screwed out of because it's going to be tough to go to a lawyer. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And the, the paperwork and the jumping through hoops. I mean, like, maybe you can get it, but it's just like, yeah. Ugh, I hate that process. <laughs> it's just, the yeah, worst. we feel you. Well, hey, guys, everyone follow Rachel. If you're on uh, Twitter or X or whatever it's called, find her at RRPRE. Uh, just Google Rachel Premack Freightways and you can find all of her articles there. And when you're there, subscribe to Modes. Thank you very much, Rachel, for your time today. And uh, let us know when you're going to go out, out somewhere else really cool like Alaska. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. Take it easy. All right. Meanwhile, in the morning. You guys like this Scorpion chair? I posted and a lot of people were asking for links on where to get it. But the one problem is I looked into the company and the reviews on this thing are not good. Don't spend like the $4,100 people. Everyone says that A, you have to build it yourself and B, it breaks really easily and the customer support is not that good. So you might not want this. Let the double brokers buy it. Now, that thing might be pretty big and bulky to send. I'm not sure if it would qualify for an exemption, but that's one of the things we're going to talk about with our next guest. He's from the TSA. He's the executive director of their air cargo division. He's been there for 20 years. It's John Beckius. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Tim, good morning. Good afternoon. How are you? I was looking in your background. You've been there since August of 2003. So for nearly the entire life of the TSA, you have been one of the people there. I am, yes, I am close to a plank holder. I was not there on the day, but joined shortly after, yep. For those who've never met you, because it's your first time on the show, give us a little bit of your background. Sure. So uh, 32 total years with the government. Uh, Came right out of college, actually, working for the Federal Aviation Administration, doing aviation security in Chicago and Indianapolis. And, you know, most people know that prior to 9-11, aviation security was done by the FAA. So I started doing that in 1991. Had a great run there. Uh, I was fortunate enough during my time there to actually work a accident with the National Transportation Safety Board, um, which was a great experience. 
Uh, didn't think much of it. Uh, a few years later, about uh, the year 2000, they called and asked me if I'd come to D.C. and work for them. Uh, at the time, I was in Indianapolis, and I said, there's no way I'm ever moving to D.C., uh, but I moved to D.C. to work for the NTSB. Had a great two and a half years working for them. Uh, during that time, 9-11 happened, uh, and that's when TSA called, uh, asked me to come back and, and work for TSA. Uh, and so I've been with TSA ever since. Uh, a little bit of mix between going back to Indianapolis as an, as an assistant director and then a bunch of different roles at uh, TSA headquarters. So it's been a great 20 years with, uh, with TSA and with the government overall. It sounds like nobody better to talk to today then about these changing regulations than you yourself. What is happening on Halloween? It sounds like an exemption could go away on big and heavy cargo. Give us a little background on why the exemption happened and, and also why is it going away? Sure. Yeah, I think the background is really helpful. So, Tim, yeah. this goes back to actually 13 years. So go all the way back to the printer um, toner plot that originated in Yemen. Uh, based on that incident, the International Civil Aviation Organization, to which we as the United States are a member, changed some of their recommended practices. And, and in a nutshell for the, the U.S. Uh, uh, industry, the net effect was they did away with the difference between requirements for all cargo aircraft and passenger aircraft. And so we started talking with industry back uh, about that in 2015, because the effect was going to be um, by July of 2021, all international outbound freight on an all-cargo aircraft was going to have to be screened for explosives. So, you know, to, to clarify, that's freight from Miami to Frankfurt on an all-cargo aircraft was going to have to be screened for explosives starting uh, on July 1st, 2021. So we worked really closely with industry to prepare for that. We gave them screening options for how they could screen that freight. Um, it's up to the carriers how they want to do that. If it's not done earlier in the supply chain, they can use things like dogs. Uh, they can use things like x-ray. It's up to them how they want to approach those things. So as we got closer to the July 1 deadline, what we started hearing from industry was, hey, wait a minute, what about these things that we really can't screen by any of the methods currently available, such as large jet engines, uh, which are transported on, on all cargo aircraft, large machinery? You know, what do we do about that? And so what we did, because we were running short on time, is give them a call it an alternate means of compliance or an exemption for how they could deal with that freight temporarily, um, which did not include actual screening. We, we told industry from the beginning that it was temporary in nature and it would be sunset at, at some time. What we encourage industry to do uh, instead with those big items is for the originators of those, of those items to join our certified cargo screening facility program. Members of that program are regulated by TSA. Uh, they're subject to our inspection, but all freight coming out of those locations uh, doesn't need to be screened later in the supply chain. So it alleviates the problem with these big bulky uh, items that currently are allowed by the exemption. Interesting. So that exemption, as you mentioned, Tim, goes away on uh, October 31st of this year. Uh, it will not be renewed. We have had a, a full court press on with industry going out to speaking engagements, uh, issuing publications, letting the industry know um, that this exemption is going away. And we're really encouraging the originators of those items 
to join our certified cargo screening facility program. How do we define the big and unusual? Is that it just won't fit in a traditional cargo screener? Is that the sort of basic definition? Or how, how does the TSA view that? You know what? We, we, we were very careful in the beginning not to define it. What I kept telling industry is, don't tell me a box of books is impractical to screen. Mm. That's, that's not going not gonna to work. But it all depends on the, on the methods that they use to screen cargo. What we're seeing are machinery, uh, sealed drums of, of chemicals, um, large jet engines. Those type of unique uh, items are the ones that are, are what we call ITS. You guys, you, you yes. guys take, especially anything involving explosives, uh, very, very seriously. For You know, we all know on the passenger side about the footwear after, like, the shoe bomb, for example. You mentioned the Yemen plot. Um, for those who aren't familiar, what's the Yemen plot and what kind of plots? Like, what have people tried to put with cargo that the TSA is tasked with stopping? Yeah, so the Yemen plot, plot um, originated in Yemen, and there were two devices transported by two all-cargo aircrafts, all-cargo aircraft that were detected before they could come to the United States. And they were very sophisticated items, uh, but they were actual devices. Um, we've, we haven't seen many other actual plots. Um, there was one in Australia recently. A lot of that information is, is more on the classified level. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's amazing the different things that people will ship in general. Uh, and it was, it was surprising to us as we got towards that deadline July 1st, um, things like jet engines and, and other things that could not be screened by traditional methods. What percentage of would you say is uh, like the big and unusual, for example? I would say it's less than 1%, Tim. So, you know, 99% of this stuff is not a problem at all uh, and goes right through, right through the system without, without a problem. Um, we did a little poll of the industry and very few of the regulated parties that actually have been issued this exemption are even using it. So um, we don't think it's going to be a problem, but we're trying to get the word out for these shippers to join our certified cargo screening pro pro program, because what we don't want is come November 1st for an air carrier or a forwarder to have to reject a shipment. And then that, that shipper is stuck with the freight and the sky's falling for them. Oh yeah, yeah. And we know, we know, we we know supply chain. I've been on the other end of that. I've I've dealt with air freight. I know it can happen when inspections come. And especially, I was dealing with perishable fish for a long time, and like you know, shippers are very highly vigilant on that. But let me ask you. So you don't, but yeah, the shippers are great. But ultimately, you want to make sure explosives aren't on there, and your team has to do their job. What happens if an explosive is detected? What's the procedure? So there's an internal procedures uh, at the local airport for uh, notification to the local bomb squad. A lot of times they will uh, secure a perimeter, bring in the appropriate equipment to be able to detect that. Uh, and then it becomes a forensics issue for us, working with the FBI and others to identify who is the originator of that shipment. Uh, any other shipments that they might have tendered that could be out there in the system at that time. Mm. You mentioned um, you mentioned canines. What role do the dogs play in all of this? Yeah, so thanks for that. that. That's a great question. So knowing that this was coming years before we put in the July 1st deadline, TSA um, developed what we call our third-party canine program. And that's a program where companies who have explosive detection canines can apply for um, approval uh, by TSA. They then become a regulated 
uh, party to TSA and are subject to our inspections. But that company and their canine can then contract with air, air carriers or forwarders to be able to screen their freight. Um, and so that program started uh, in late 2018. And around 2019, it had become a success. There were about 180 um, of these dogs out there screening freight, primarily for the passenger carriers at that time, because the July 1 deadline of 2021 had not hit yet. But as that deadline approached, we saw the all cargo carriers really lay into and, and get in tune with the third party canine program. So that program has grown from 180 team use back in 2019 to almost 1,000 teams today. It is the primary method used by companies like FedEx and UPS and others to screen their freight. It's been a huge success. How many dogs does the TSA employ? So those are not TSA dogs. Interesting. Those, those are dogs contracted by private companies. Now, TSA also operates the nation's largest explosive detection canine program, but we do not screen the freight for the carriers. Gotcha. Um, we, we actually fund uh, canine teams for local law enforcement at the airports, and then we also have teams that operate at the checkpoints screening passengers. Now, my colleague, Eric Foolish, he had a question. He said, is there a proposal for secure parking facilities that would allow shippers to avoid third-party screening? Um, you know, the, the screening, both on all cargo and passenger, is very clear with the mandate. Yeah. 100% of the cargo on passenger has been screened since 2010. So really, there, there's no proposal to alleviate that. Got you. And the one last thing I got to ask is I used to I used to book freight and the big, big problem I always had was, especially with battery imports and battery exports, lithium ion, there's especially I believe it's a Shanghai was always problematic. What do shippers need to know? Because I always get this question. What do they need to know about shipping uh, lithium ion batteries right now? Yeah. So the, the primary responsibility for oversight there is with the FA, not TSA. But mm. we all know we all know it's a problem. And I do plenty of speaking engagements with my counter. Part uh, Tom Kenny over at the uh, the FA and others, and that continues to be a real big problem for them. Uh, on the baggage side, you know, we want to make sure that baggage uh, does not contain any lithium-ion batteries because you know that's a TSA screening responsibility, and also in the co uh, cargo hold of the aircraft. Interesting. And now, before I let you go, what would your advice be to shippers now who are sending this big freight? There's this sunset deadline coming up. What do they need to do to get their house in order? Yeah, great. So what I would ask them to do is contact your service provider, contact your forwarder, contact your air carrier, ask them if their freight has been being shipped as ITS and practical to screen. And if so, please uh, look at the TSA website, public website, tsa.gov. Under air cargo programs, there's a fact sheet. You can also reach out to aircargoprograms.tsa.dhs.gov to start the application process because the application process for uh, approval in the program does not happen overnight, Tim. It's a several week process. So if someone comes to us on uh, October 30th, they are not going to be good to go uh, the next day. They won't be having a Now, my last my last question is every time I fly and go to a conference, I bring this cowbell and a TSA agent will always stop my bag and take it out and say more cowbell. Is that in the regulations? 
It's not the regulation, but it is a recommended practice. It is a recommended practice. I love it, John. People who need more information on this, where's the best TSA site to go to? Just tsa.org or .gov? tsa.gov, and you can search air cargo, uh, and you'll find the information. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Keep those guys safe. Thanks, Tim. Take care. All right. China, India, Korea, Vietnam, Belgium, the Czech Republic, France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico. More than 2,700 AIT worldwide logistics supply chain experts are stationed in these countries and, of course, in offices across the United States of America. And in 2023, they're adding even more global locations as the organization strives to make it easier than ever for companies to ship between Asia, Europe, and the Middle East and North America. If you're ready to create a shipping program as unique as your business, as unique as yourself, you can learn more at AITWorldwide.com. Texomatic and Midjourney bring us our next Elsewhere. It's a little documentary on a trucking company. Established in 1971 by Thomas Gordon, Big Top Trucking was an outfit dedicated to the movement of carnival equipment, circus relocation, exotic animal transport, and the official partner of the 39 Zany Blaney's Party Rama retail stores located throughout Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana. Gordon insisted his fleet of professional drivers, quote, dress the part when it came to serving this segment of the entertainment and party favor industry. His randomized fleet of experimental equipment was easily identified by the general motoring public and was a favorite target of the Illinois State Police. By 1977, involvement with the Chicago Mafia, embezzlement, and unpaid fuel taxes caught up with Gordon, and the Interstate Commerce Commission, along with the IRS, raided his office in Chicago's western suburb of Cicero. Big Top Trucking was no more. He was sentenced to 47 years in the Illinois State Penitentiary in Joliet on racketeering and tax evasion. The majority of Gordon's remaining drivers have all found middle to upper management positions at five of the seven largest mega carriers that serve North America. Wow, that's an amazing job by Texomatic. Maybe all AI isn't isn't bad. I I do like those journeys. Hey, let's bring Super Trucker up. Justin Martin. I'm I'm in the green tears. Tears rolling down my face just laughing at that. Oh, my God. That was so good. He's been doing a great job, Texomatic. I he he did one by request for me. I haven't I haven't played it yet because I've been sitting on this one for a while. I've just been writing, waiting for the right time to insert it. But he made I told him to make me one where um, autonomous like trucks, are the, a future with autonomous trucks that go crazy, and it, it's pretty good. I'll I'll get that up next time. Well, you know, what? I'll just have him on. Looking I'll have him on, and then we'll uh we'll get into some of those because he does he does some great work. How how have you been? I, we just great, what do you th- great, what do you, great. What do you think about Rachel being in Alaska? You have you ever been up that far north? Not that far north. I've been to Pacific Northwest many times. Love it up there. Um, never taken the trip up to Alaska. Definitely going to have to be on my bucket list now. She's fearless. She went up like all alone. She yeah. booked this thing for herself. Uh, uh, you, you pr- I'm proud of her. I think, you know, it was not, not because she's like a girl or anything, but like that's a big going all the way up to Alaska and covering trucking. And I think she did an awesome job. It's one thing when you're in the driver's seat and you got like that nice comfy captain's chair. But yeah, being in the passenger seat is oh. rough. There's no air ride, no nothing. You're bolted right to the floor. So, yeah. She's tougher than me. Why is there none? Just to save money and save uh, save yeah. money and save weight? Yeah, most of your trucks, unless they're actually you know built to spec for teams, um, most of your passenger seats are just bolted to the floor. 
Well, those pipe guys might be doing all right up there. And also, it was cool she got to see uh, a little strap work happen in person. But down here in the lower 48, especially if you get over to like an area like Florida, things are not nearly as good, are they, Justin? No, no, it's terrible. Now, we have a clip here from a driver. We had to edit this up a little. He goes on for, he's very passionate. He goes on for a while about this. It's about two minutes long, but I think that it's important to hear uh, this man's voice and what he has to say. So let's roll the clip, then we'll discuss. Oh. Being I don't haul that load back to Charlotte no more, I pick up a load of flowers down here and I take it to Publix every time I'm down here. I called yesterday and uh, done got it in the words for me to pick up tomorrow down there with my load of flowers that delivers Monday morning Publix. You know, it ain't the best of rates. Now, it ain't. It ain't. It pays. Anywhere from $1,800 to $2,000 to take that load of flowers up there to Publix. Little old gal calls me about two hours ago and said, Scotty, there's a guy called me needing that load. And she said, honey, and she said, I told you you could have it. But she said, he really, really needs it. And, uh, Long story short, can you do it for what he priced it to do it? I said, well, depending on what he priced it for. Why in the hell do you gotta cut rates when the load pays $1,800 to $2,000, which ain't no good money, but in Florida right now, that's good coming out. But you cut the load down to $800 to go up there Man, it's 820 miles from where it picks up to where it where you gotta take it to. I said, well, honey, I ain't trying to burn no bridges or nothing, but if he can do it, please let him do it for 800. Maybe his fire will blow on the way or whatever and learn the most valuable lesson that keep cutting these rates. You're just killing the damn industry. I can't do it. I'm not doing it. I'll dead hit this. I don't give a. If I had to dead hit it to Texas. I'm not hauling cheap freight. Heard it from there. He also goes on how he's going to like write a book and how other drivers have to be smart and not take the cheap freight. But it's also a reality of the market right now. Justin, break it yeah. down for me. So I used to drive team when I was hauling A and E with a guy who, before coming into that, hauled flowers. A lot of those runs are team. You know, you, you pick up at the nurseries in South Florida and you run them up to the Northeast and they got to be there overnight. Um, unless you're hauling like a reefer trailer and you can keep the stuff refrigerated. So runs like that used to pay great. Um, but as we've seen over the last few years, we have so much capacity to market right now that rates have pretty much just completely bottomed out. Um, and as you, as you see, you know, you got a guy that's in Florida, thinks he's got a decent load, but he's got someone else that's willing to do the load for even cheaper just to get out of Florida. Yeah. Um, that's going to bring rates down for everybody. I mean, and that's nothing new about Florida. That's nothing new about a, a fluctuating market. Do, do you think here he's comparing this too much to also very unusual rates that happened during the peak just a couple years ago? I don't know, because it, it sounds like he's been in this for a while. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're competing with people who rushed into the market uh, when rates are really high. Equipment's really expensive for them. Their operating costs are going to be a lot higher than yours. So when they're cutting rates even lower than what you would normally run, 
uh, loads for. It's kind of like what, you know, what's the point of even like competing with these guys? Mike Williams, he says, here's the question. Is the guy who cut the rate desperate or stupid? It doesn't matter. Yeah. An old mate said, well, this clown is busy getting broke. He's killing you in the market. The broker doesn't care. She just made bank. But he admits he's been doing the same work for less and less himself. It's tough. It's a, it's, it's a downward cycle. And you have to, and sometimes you have to keep drop, dropping your thresholds. I don't know if the broker's necessarily making bank, though. I, the broker, because the broker still has to contend with the shipper who may not want to be paying that much. Exactly. And if you're if you're taking the risk of going with like a cheap carrier and like you said, maybe the guy's equipment's not that great. He's going to have a blown tire. Good luck getting that load there on time. You know, you you really get what you pay for a lot of times with, with these carriers. So if you've got a guy that you've been relying on for a while, why would you take the risk of sure you're going to pocket a little more money now, but you're putting everything else on the line because now your customer might not might, might not trust you booking your their loads uh, with you next time. It's tough, though, when, when you want four figures and someone out there is in the three figures. I mean, the numbers, there's an a thousand dollar difference between what this person took and what that took. Now, just to play devil's advocate, can't the shipper maybe look at this? Because a shipper doesn't look at like a driver getting killed. All they look at is what they're getting paid. So to them, they're like, I was getting ripped off at eighteen hundred and now I can get eight hundred. Yeah, no, the, the shippers, I think, need to do a better job of realizing just how the carriers are getting squeezed right now. Um, you know, most carriers, they just put the loads up on a board and let the brokers be the middleman. And then as long as everything's going fine, who cares? You know, when rates are really high, nobody cared about what the brokers were taking off the top because everybody was making a killing. But now that the rates have come down, uh, we're starting to see a lot more pain in the market. And that's just what we're seeing with this driver right now. Um, sort of unrelated to trucking, but there was a tweet a few weeks ago about restaurants that were kind of hurting right now where all their cooks are leaving their restaurants that have been in business for years and going into these new places that are opening up and paying you know, top dollar, but they're probably going to be out of business in six months. And the, basically the end of the tweet was, it's impossible to compete with people who don't know what they're doing. And that's what we're seeing in trucking right now. Well, I mean, that's to be fair, that's what a lot of people would yell about as a blowback at some freight tech companies that got sky high, like yeah. VC valuations. And they would say, well, they can afford to poach all of our employees and pay salaries that are way above market. But that doesn't mean that they necessarily have a viable business that will still be operating in the next five years. EconGo said this doesn't mean that the 3500 was the right price either. As recent as 12 yeah. months, we were getting ridiculous tenders. But the $800 is also ridiculous. And I, and I think that speaks to your point that Shippers, I understand you want good rates, but at certain points, you're, you're making yellows out here by um, by going super yeah. rate, and you're putting freight at risk. Ranger said, I wish more drivers would do this. It's giving shippers a false belief that the bottom of the bow rates are the norm. It's hard enough without that crap. It's tough, though. It's easy to say, like, hey, I wish nobody took the freight, but you might got your truck in Florida. You brought a good load down there, and for you going back, this is just 800 bucks in gas money. Yeah, no, the, the rally cry of say no to cheap freight has been known for years and years. And I just don't think enough people have been saying no. I, I think more guys need to be serious about saying no, like like this gentleman in the video. New Trucker Mike, he's, he's just empathetic. He said heartbreaking. You can hear the honesty and frustration in this man's voice. Jeff says automobiles are in the same mess. Fortunately, that I have dedicated, even that has slowed. I just looked on Central Dispatch, their call hauler load board. He said um, $3 a mile, a thousand, let's see, he goes... I don't, I'm not a car hauler, I don't know, but he says 116, 7 slash 8 slash 9 unit loads $3 plus a mile closest to me is 1,000 miles away. A year ago, there were over 300 on that board, and now that board is full of singles. So, yeah, that market's getting tight. Not enough supply. Now you're pulling less than you used to, and those rates are getting cut down. Trimble says, I work for a food manu manufacturer. 
Pre-COVID, we paid thirty-two to thirty-five hundred for one lane. April twenty twenty, the same lane skyrocketed as high to fifty-three hundred. That's why grocery prices are the way we are because we had to up our prices because truckers demand crazy rates when the fuel was down. Yeah, partially. I mean, transportation doesn't play that much of a role in inflation. This is kind of its own market a little bit. Yeah, it, it's still crazy to me that we're still dealing with like the ramifications of inflated rates during covid and not enough of that capacity is flushed out like yellow went down we're seeing rates tick up a little bit but the capacity on the whole is still you know in the market yeah our kitchell says i would bet he, he is mistaken if he thinks the broker is getting the same rate from the customer compared to a year ago and sometimes if the customer yeah. contracted a lane at x dollars and the spot rate is higher they do lose money that's not necessarily what's going on in this market the scott, the scott rate just lowered everyone's getting driven down joe mama he said as a longtime amazon merchant i learned early that there's a never-ending stream of low ballers and shippers face it too they face it with all these people doing knockoff versions of their own product on amazon d will just said it's a shame how bad it's gotten out there but maybe you're getting these bad rates maybe this guy doesn't want to haul flowers anymore maybe he's driving around and he goes on to x and he sees this big discussion that's going on about bucky's versus ups or he's turned into this he's tuned into this episode of what the truck and there are some really nice numbers on here for you audio readers you got bucky's that a general manager 150,000 to 225,000 food service manager 125,000 to 175,000 Car wash manager like Walter White, one hundred twenty-five thousand. Assistant GM, you're still getting six. You're still getting six figs. You get a hundred thousand. Uh, department managers, you can make up to thirty-one dollars an hour. So you get a little uh, tenure. You got some experience. To Bucky's, you can make good money. But also the other thing going around is long haul truck drivers. UPS put out. It said our long haul team drivers average one hundred and seventy-two thousand dollars per year in total compensation it says ups pays 95 cents per mile after four years nearly double the trucking industry average that number looks a little bit sus to me because there's there's some qualifiers on there in fact i think i was initially i was like wait is that split in half because i was looking at average pay for ups drivers and they weren't really close there i mean ups says there's a certain amount but when you go on different websites that report salary they're a lot lower than what UPS is saying, but it, let, let's say this is true. After five years, you get the 175000 We'll just discuss it that way. The 172000 or the Buckies. Which one are you going to go to, Justin? Uh, it's getting it's getting tough out there. I mean, even just like the bottom of the floor employee was 16 an hour, and that's somebody who's going to be home every night. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Even even Walmart was considered you know top top of the industry at, at 110 Um what got me out of the truck was working from home. So, you know, even, even in Philadelphia, when UPS was throwing out crazy rates, um, I knew starting there, you'd be starting off at the bottom again. Um, so you really got to look at like what the, what that pyramid looks uh, like in your area. Are you going to go to a Bucky's where there's 50 other people working there that you got to like fight for to get seniority? Or are you going to go to UPS where the, the terminal there might have the same number of people, but say turnover is higher, uh, you know, at, at the entry level. So it's really up to you for me. Mm, I like being home every night, and I'm already bald, so I can kind of do the Walter White thing. So I wouldn't mind being a, <laughs> a car wash manager. Wait a second, but then you're going to be the guy, like Dan, in that video we showed last week, who has to kick the guy with his kids out who parked his truck to get it fueled. Are you ready to do that? Is money is that blood money enough for you? Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> that, that'll, that'll, keep you, that'll keep you silent. Now, UPS, for example, because the number looks, that's 172. If that's the number, that's the team. What is, tell me the other side of this, because people look at this, but they haven't, they may not be fully thinking about this. What is it like climbing the ladder in a union? What is it like team driving? And what, how realistic is it that you would get to this level? Yeah, so other UPS drivers that I've talked to that are like at senior levels, they they're a very small minority, but they're saying that the contract is still not quite fair enough to new new people, you know, part timers. Oh. So once once you get in, um, you got to work years at some of these places to make enough seniority to where you're already you're guaranteed full time. So a lot of these places they'll be really busy during the holiday, and then January second, January third, you're furloughed for months. You know, you, you're not you're not working there for a while until. Uh, things pick up again. Um, once you make regular, you're made. You know, it, it's like being in the mafia. You know, you're a made man. But it's depending on where you're at um, and what kind of turnover that they have. It, it can take a long time to reach uh, a level of seniority where you're working steady hours. You know, you and I, we have our kids in school today. Congratulations, boys! Today was the first day of elementary school for my boys. Well, not their first; their first and third grade, but their first day of going back to uh, to school today. And it's interesting because this person. Jarek Lewis, he tweets, imagine incurring debt for college when these opportunities exist. You and I are mm-hmm. both at a phase in life where we have to think about strategy for our boys and, and what they should be thinking. And um, me as a parent, I think it's cool that, that at least these, these, are, these values are raising up. So I, I agree with a lot of people. School seems to be a ripoff. I agree with a lot of these people in student debt. School seems to be a, a, a ripoff for a lot of people. Yeah, as we're seeing now, people like my age, you know, I graduated high school in 2002 and you were trained basically from kindergarten day yeah. one. Like you got to go to this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And every single person who followed that path, guess what? They're up against some really steep competition. And it's the people who kind of went off the beaten path, who went into the trades, who went into uh, jobs where there's a lot more demand for that kind of labor. They're making a killing now. Good for them. You know, as remedial as like chat GPT is and, and how much of a party trick it is of just a finish, a, a sentence finishing bot, it's pretty clear where that tech can develop to in automation. And I've long said I think white collar workers are, are more in danger. Yeah. Um, I've, I don't think this wipes out everybody because AI is dumb. Look, you still need it's it's dumb. And you don't want it to be too smart because it'll take over the world because it'll immediately identify us as the biggest threat. And then we have like Skynet Terminator 2 situation. So. Let's not make it overly smart, but a lot of what it can do, it, it can't it can't pre-check your truck. Yeah, it can do like what an airplane yeah. does, but it can't do it to the level of a truck driver does. And as we talked about with those robots, it's not the watchman who could actually be there in a point of friction for the truck being taken away or all the number of things that a driver does. I think the mistake a lot of tech people make and a lot of collegiate people make is they look at a truck and they just go, the only thing that driver does is push a gas pedal. Yeah. No, with the toilet backs up at two o'clock in the morning, I'm not firing up ChatGPT. I'm opening up my no. phone book. <laughs> you need a plumber. And those rates are like going crazy. Have you seen San Francisco? The rates for plumbers are in the, uh, are in the, the, the like the, they're getting into the mid six, like lower mid six figures, like 250,000. I heard someone saying some pump plumbers are netting out there. Yeah. One of my wife's uh, family friends, uh, Mr. Carey, he is a plumber over here in New Jersey. He's getting up in his, his older years and he's like looking for apprentices left and right. I think he's got a guy now, but it was a struggle for a while trying to get people. Cause like nobody thinks of plumber as like a you know glorious job. Maybe the Mario brothers movie <laughs> might've uh, helped a little bit, but um, yeah, if, if you're a young kid right now and you really don't know what to do, the world's kind of your oyster right now. There, there's tons and tons of opportunities out there that weren't available. Like when I was uh, fresh out of high school. 
William Sheffield, he says, I went to school for a master's degree in architecture, designed hospitals for some of the biggest in the country, all to get paid less than, assist, than an assistant GM at Bucky's. Gannicus says, though, he's got another side. He says getting BTC above Bitcoin, above 32000 is easier than getting a full-time <laughs> job at UPS. So Bucky's yeah. may be the way to go. Yeah, it's all of the location. Philadelphia, I know they were hurting for a while because the turnover was really crazy. Um, so if you're in the Northeast, check them out. Now, you said one of these opportunities is A, A, and E. What is your pitch to drivers out there about this? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of posts again about arms, ammunition, and explosives. It's a great, great opportunity. It is some of the easiest, no literally, no-touch freight. You don't even look at half the stuff most of the time. Um, but there's a lot of caveats to it. The application process to most companies, if you're going in as a company driver, I'm not kidding you. It's like this thick. It goes through your entire life history just to get the um, security clearance check. Um, and that's before you even apply for the job. So get your security clearance uh, checked out, apply for the job, and find a co-driver. That's the other thing, too, is a lot of these, a lot of these people are seeing posts about AA&E, and they're seeing the kind of numbers it is and what a great opportunity is, but they don't get the full picture. It's team. You have to drive team for most of these loads. Um, I did it for four years. It was a great, great opportunity. Um, I highly recommend anyone who wants to do it and has the opportunity, go for it. Wait, who pays better with the team, though, after four years? Is it UPS? Yeah. yeah, probably better benefits yeah. too. I had a 401k, but not like a pension or anything. Lots, a lot to consider out there. And having things to consider is good. There's 30,000 yellow workers on the market. So I hope they're listening too. And hey, never too late to make a nice career move or, or a slight career, career shift over to a slightly different vertical within this industry. But maybe you don't want to do it by commandeering a garbage truck. That'll make it tough to get a CDL. <laughs> Look at this thing flying by over here on the roadway. The, uh, the, the back of it's almost falling off this entire truck. ABC, ABC6 reports that investigation is underway about this garbage truck right here. This incident happened Monday morning in Knox County, and it's resulted in one person being taken into police custody. And I love this sentence here in this story. It says, SPD successfully deployed spike strips near the Hardy's restaurant on West Main Street. And about three minutes later, the garbage truck crashed into the Tennessee hot tubs on Dolly Parton Way. They've identified the man. It's Sean White. I hope it's not like the Olympia and the Flying Tomato. <laughs> it's, something, it's like straight out of a, um, a Jeffrey Bruckheimer movie. I, I could just see the explosions and everything happening in the background. Yeah, and, and like action movies, and you're like, but nobody would steal a garbage truck. That's a stupid way to get it. Last week, we had the, the, the couple who took a hostage in a track semi truck. Yeah, it just shows you how rough the market is getting out there. Criminals getting desperate. Even getting in the locked doors. Even getting in those garbage trucks. You know, on Wednesday, uh, last week, we, I mean, not last week, last episode, we talked about these delivery bots and like it went off like wildfire over mm -hmm. on Twitter. People were really curious about these, these delivery bots getting beat up. But I have a kind of another perspective on one now. And to be fair, I want to show this one too because I think this bot does a pretty good job. Oh, it's going to This guy's a jerk though, the narrator. There you go. Yeah, the, they, they can never just leave the robots alone. What a what a great video though. There's there's already like the electric scooter on the ground. This this thing is just trying to find its way across the sidewalk. It should be a product demo. Like, look, there's a person passed out on the street right here, and he's yelling at it for going on the grass, but it's going on the grass because it doesn't want to run this person over. Yeah, and then you know, kudos to whoever designs like the. The mapping software on this. Look at that. Even more scooters on the sidewalks. Jeez. Yeah. And then this guy kicks Oh, the bicycle kicks it. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> He's having a rough day. I've lived in Hollywood. Um, and people are like, oh, society's changed. This would have happened 20 years ago. This would have happened. I guarantee you.
This thing is in Hollywood. It, it needs to have like an alarm that goes off, like that's Dustin Hoffman. Like if somebody kicks it, it just goes, "Hey, I'm walking here." Yeah, like it's like a New Yorker voice. <laughs> oh my god, this dystopia sucks. I thought it would be a lot more exciting than this. This is just this poor little robot just trying to do his job. On a sidewalk. I know, well, I, sorry, you know, the, the, I mean, this robots can be bad, but people can be worse. worse. This guy just walking down the street creating noise pollution, chastising this thing. Casper says, I have a I have a robot therapy business. I can can you refer me to Sinista? <laughs> no filters. Well, well, okay, so I, I think right now it's it's the novelty of it. Everyone sees one and they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. I guarantee you, five, ten years from now, there's going to be a thousand things of those on the sidewalk, and nobody's going to care. They're invisible like the scooters are. Like, when we're walking in Cleveland, like, yeah. oh, you notice a scooter, and you're like, oh, a scooter, maybe I should ride one. And that's, like, as much as your thought processes anymore. It's not like in 2019 when they're littered everywhere, and you kind of get pissed off at them as much. I took one on the ride when we were in Cleveland, and they are terrifying. Listen to me, though. These things have to. These th- I, Yeah, I did one at, at Gats, and I realized that it's not really my best mode of uh, transportation. <laughs> Definitely not. But uh, th- these things here, people are saying, uh, I had a thought. What was I going to say? I don't know. People are saying they're never going to work. I think they'll work. I think they'll work, Justin. Yeah, give it time. Like I said, they're, they're a novelty now, but in five years, they'll be so normalized. People, they're gonna, like you said, they're just going to blend into the background. Well, speaking of robots, there's ones that can go a lot faster that might be a little bit more dangerous, and they're like these autonomous cruises here. Look at this one. It had an incident with a semi car crash between oh. a cruise and... A uh, driverless car right now on Sanyan and Golden Gate Park. Inside uh, EV, it says that this happened in San Francisco on August 7th. San Francisco is where they have a lot of those cruises running around. Although, I just heard that they're expanding into Atlanta. I did not see any yet when I was at the aquarium, oh. but they're going there. But uh, Alf Santos, Alf San, if you want to follow him, he's the one who caught this video over here. Cruz, they say we're actively investigating this, but we can confirm that the truck attempted a left turn from the right lane while our car was passed, and the AV came to a complete stop to avoid the collision when it detected the truck beginning the move, but the truck continued and struck our vehicle. You think a human driver would have noticed that, uh, that truck move? Absolutely. You can, you can make eye contact with a human driver and say, hey, bud, try to move, and they'll, they'll back up, hopefully. Um, I've definitely had situations where it's like you park, and then you got to wait for them to realize what's happening and then back up. Um, this is going to be going into Atlanta. Ooh, that's going to be that's going to be a tough market. Plenty of plenty of bad drivers out there. Let's see here. Well, dad of two roadside said they are fighting back. As far as these cruises are concerned, though, they haven't had a ton of major incidents. They've, they've been stuck in some uh, walkways. There's a trend going on in San Francisco with people putting a traffic cone to make them stop. But um, there are only two really big incidents of hitting something. It was in June 2022. It, it, it hit a Toyota Prius one. And in March 2023, one rear-ended a municipal bus. So it seems like they have a pretty good track record. Yeah, yeah. Anytime you're throwing people into the mix, it's chance, chances are it's it's, yeah. it's always like the other driver that you got to worry about, uh, and that's what we're seeing with this truck right here. Driver but, was in the, the truck driver was in the wrong. The robot just didn't know what to do. It got some training data. Well, how about this one here for the kids? This Christmas coming up, maybe don't let your boy see this. It'll be it'll be jealous. But uh, what do you <laughs> think of this truck right here? Who put this together? This was TikToker Big Rig Bruce's truck that he made for his son. It's amazing. This. This tweet itself, or the uh, TikTok here, it's it's criminally short. Um, the other videos I saw on, on his video, it's actually a go kart. This Ooh. this whole setup here. So where the kid is sitting, that's where the motor is at, and then the cab itself, it's open in the back, and then the steering wheel is right there in the center. 
Um, this is definitely something more that like my dad would like weld together uh, at his property in South Carolina. So I'm Love forward. It. I'm gonna forward forward everything that this guy has to my dad and see if he can uh, put something like this together. Brandon Chaston. Brandon Chaston says, parked on the back row, asking on 19 for them juice boxes with a bendy straw. Come on. <laughs> All right, Justin, you see this on the lot right here. Roll this tape of this guy in the porta potty. Is this trick fair or foul? <laughs> this guy's parked his big rig so his buddy cannot get out of the toilet. Everything's fair. Nobody got hurt, but just be prepared for the uh, blowback. Witness me said my load operator has done this to me a few times. I now have to block the blue room with my truck. So challenge. He has to create enough room mm-hmm. for himself to keep them away. Now we've been doing ice bucket challenges like crazy. Justin, you have yours. Let's roll the tape. Hi, I'm doing the ALS ice bucket challenge. Take my glasses off. Oh, this is going to suck. This is going to suck so bad. Oh, dude, it was right. It is cold. Um, I challenge Mike Lombard. I'll see you on the road. Nice. Mike Lombard's on the clock. He'll rope in the driver community. Thank you so much for joining us. Find Super Trucker on Twitter or the X. Look up Justin Martin on LinkedIn. Find me at Timothy Duner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find the show wherever you get uh, your podcasts. Let's look up What the Truck on Freightwaves YouTube or your favorite podcast player. And look up the show, FW What the Truck, TikTok, Twitter. Take care. Don't be a stranger.